I think most of us treasure the last words that our loved ones have spoken just before they died. Those of you who heard me enough know that the last words that my mother spoke before she went to glory have impacted me radically and completely for the past 40-plus years, and indeed is going to impact me for the rest of my life. Because those last words, we did not know they were the last words at the time, where I can hear them singing. I can hear them singing. And we just say, well, nobody's singing here. Who's singing? No one is singing. And all she would say is, I can hear them singing. And then very soon after that, she joined the praises of the saints in heaven. From that time on, I really became fascinated about this whole issue of the last words in the deathbed of people. And several years ago, I came across a pamphlet that contains so many of the last words of people, uh, believers and non-believers alike. I'm not going to tell you all about them, but I'll give you some examples. Unbelievers such as Thomas Hobbes was a self-professed atheist. His last words reported to be, I am taking a fearful leap into the dark. The French agnostic Voltaire allegedly said in his deathbed, I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. Contrast that with the words of D.L. Moody, the great preacher of yesteryear. In his deathbed, he said, This is glorious. Earth is receding. Heaven is opening. God is calling me. And Jesus' last seven statements from the cross are some of the most cherished words for believers. For 2,000 years, believers throughout the world have treasured those seven words of our Lord. We examined the very first four ones in the past four messages. The first one was around 9 o'clock in the morning, 9 a.m., right after our Lord was nailed to that cross, and then that rugged cross was lifted up on that hill called Golgotha. And right there in the morning, the first statement was to forgive His transgressors. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And in the middle of the morning, He spoke a word of assurance and a word of promise to a repentant sinner on the cross next to Him. And He said to him, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Then toward noon, undistracted by his unimaginable and immeasurable pain, he made provision for his mother by asking John to take care of her. And then the fourth statement came when the brightness of noonday gave way to the darkness of midnight, and he uttered this cry of mystery preserved for us in the very words or the very language that he spoke, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And today we're going to come to the fifth statement of the seven awesome statements from the cross. And it's only reported in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 28 and 29. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. 
a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hesse plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Our Father, there is no way on this side of heaven can we completely comprehend that the God who created the oceans and the rivers can cry on that cross and say, I thirst. But Father, as much as we can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, open our spiritual eyes to comprehend the depth of what it means to thirst for You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This cry, the fifth statement from the cross, was not a cry for provision for others, as He forgave the sinners, and as He assured the one next to Him, and as He made provision for His mother. This cry is a cry of personal agony. It was a cry of physical pain. It was a cry of dehydration. It was a cry of deep spiritual need, as we're going to see in a minute. Think about this. Two days prior to the crucifixion, our Lord Jesus has gone through a tremendous amount of tension and apprehension. First, there is the upper room, and all of the tension and the apprehension of the upper room, when He told them that one of them, who were His companions for over three years, was going to deliver Him to die on a cross. And then followed by the tension and the apprehension of Gethsemane, where the Bible said that our Lord was sweating blood, asking the Father if there's some other way that this cup will pass away from Him. The cup of what? The cup of that moment of separation that He was about to experience on the cross when He carried your sins and mine and the judgment of our sin on this holy body. But then there was the tension and the apprehension of His arrest in Gethsemane. Then there was a trip from Gethsemane to Caiaphas' house. And there he was interrogated three different times, first by Ananias, then by Caiaphas, and then by the full Sanhedrin. Then came the trip across the city of Jerusalem from Caiaphas' house to the fortress of Antonia. And there was interrogated for the fourth time by Pontius Pilate. Then he was dragged across the city of Jerusalem again, to the judgment hall of Herod, where he was interrogated yet for the fifth time. And finally, back to Pontius Pilate, where for the sixth time he was interrogated and mocked. And during all of that time, there's not a single shred of evidence that our Lord was relieved of his personal needs. No evidence of him ever receiving a sip of water. With all that tension and all of that apprehension and all of this dehydration, on the contrary, we know that condemned prisoners were brutally dragged from place to place to place, thirsty. Then there was the flogging. Most people die during the flogging, but our Lord was so weakened by the flogging that He could not carry the cross up to the crucifixion. Then, from the flogging, there was the tension of the loss of blood and the lacerations. And then, the six hours in which he hung on that cross, 
as those nails were tearing up his flesh and his hand and his feet. No wonder his soul was anguished with the cry of physical thirst. In the Semitic languages, Arabic, Hebrew, and Aramaic, we don't often use the personal pronoun. So when Jesus cried that word, he didn't say, I am thirsty, as it's translated in English, which of course makes sense in English. But he just said one word, thirsty. And everybody understood, because that's how they spoke. Thirsty. And when the soldiers gave him the sponge that dipped into that cheap vinegar wine of the Italians, it is very difficult to honestly know whether it was an act of kindness or an act of cruelty. Whenever I reflect on the anguish of the cross and that one word, thirsty, I think of two things. First, that his thirst assures us that he will always hear the cries of anyone who would come to him and say, Lord, save me. Secondly, this anguish of his thirst should vividly be remembered by every single believer, particularly in the times of temptation, in the times of anger, in the times of frustration, in the times when we are tempted to cut corners, in the times when we are tempted not to be faithful to the Lord. In all of those times of temptation, we need to remember those words, or that word, thirsty. First, it was the anguish of his thirst that assures us that he will never, never turn down anyone who comes to him crying, Lord, save me. If you have ever doubted that the Lord has heard your cry of surrender, please listen carefully. If you ever doubted that, meditate on his cries from the cross. Meditate on that, and that should assure you that he will never not hear you. I know for all of us, there are times when we go through experiencing the valley of doubt. Sometimes we experience the shadow of distress. We go through times of wondering if Jesus will ever keep his promises. I understand that. But when we go through those times, remember this. Remember the anguish of the cross. Remember that He will always, always keep His promises, and He will never go back on His Word. Promises such as this, whoever comes to me, in no way will I cast out. That those whom the Father has given me, I will lose none. That whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Get come unto me, all who are troubled and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, Calvary distilled in that one word, thirsty. Thirsty. And when you think of that word, remember the words of the Apostle Paul when he said that God who spared not His only Son, but delivered Him up for us, How will He not freely give us in Him all things? Our Lord who suffered the anguish of the cross would never turn down anyone who comes to Him for salvation. That is His promise. The word, I thirst, should be assuring to every one of us that our peace treaty with God was signed by the blood of Jesus Christ Himself, and nobody can take that away from you. 
Not even you. Secondly, the word thirsty should always surface in the forefront of our minds, in the forefront of our thoughts, every time you find yourself being tempted to sin. That word has such power to help you overcome. Meditate on that word. None of us are going to go very far in this life if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ without being attacked by Satan. You know my motto, if you're not being attacked by Satan, there's something wrong because it means that you walk in the same direction with him. We all have experienced the enemy's assault, and let me tell you something. I know a little bit about that. His attack is always clever. It's always subtle, and it's always crafty. He will come to you at a moment of loneliness. He will come to you at the moment of fatigue. He will come to you at a moment of anger. He will come to you at a moment of disappointment. He will come to you at a moment of hurt, because let me tell you this, He knows your Achilles heels better than you do. And He's waiting until you get into that moment of weakness. And remember the Bible said he's like a hungry lion that's prowling around. He's prowling around. He's prowling around, waiting from afar just a little bit. And the moment you stumble, he pounces on you. Now you can tell that I have a lot of experience in that area. And whatever it is that is your Achillean, everybody is different from everybody else. Whether it is the grip of greed whether it is unbridled sensuality, whether it is a deep resentment, whether it is unresolved anger, whatever it is that seems to pull you and pull on your life, you know it, and the devil knows it. And he waits for that moment. But what you need to do at that moment of temptation, you need to stop. Stop. Stop and meditate on the reality that nailed Jesus to that cross that caused Him to cry, thirsty, thirsty. At that moment of temptation, whatever it may be, recall the moment when your Savior cried out, I thirst. And when you do that, you will receive power to overcome. You will receive power to stop. You will receive power to turn. You will receive power to refuse. You will receive power of victory. But there's something else here that I don't want you to miss. When John was talking about the fulfillment of the Scriptures, he was thinking of Psalm 42. Psalm 42 says, As the deer panted after water... My soul pants after you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. Now, do you remember the last message on the preceding cry of the cross? You remember it? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With the totality of humanity's sin weighing so heavily upon his sinless body, with the judgment of our sin that belongs to us, crushing His holy body, with the agony of separation from the Father, crushing Him, and with the anguish of seeing the back of the Father for the first time since before eternity, with Him experiencing the wrath of God upon your sin and my sin, 
he experienced the thirst that the psalmist prophesied about. I don't want you to miss this. Our Lord was experiencing physical thirst, but He also was experiencing a spiritual thirst. He also experienced the thirst of renewal of fellowship with His Father from that separation. He was thirsting for the presence of the Father. He was thirsting for the eternal unity with the Father that existed before eternity. He was thirsting for His Father. What about you? What about you? When was the last time you thirsted for God? When was the last time you thirsted for the presence of God in your life? When was the last time that you thirsted for intimacy with God? Ask yourself that question. Ask yourself, what broken cisterns are you pursuing in order to be satisfied? What broken system are you pursuing to fulfill you? Is it politics? Is it materialism? Is it physical satisfaction? What salty water are you drinking from, thinking that it will satisfy you? And yet, all it does, it leaves you spiritually parched. You know, every time I I got them at least, and I I get fascinated by the camels. Camels are really ugly creatures. They really are. You know, God in His wisdom, I guess, made them ugly so they can survive the desert. But they are very helpful for people in the desert because they can live for three months without water. Three months. Contrast that with the beautiful deer <laughs> that cannot stay away from water for too long. And that is why the psalmist compares himself to a deer. And so I want you to ask yourself the question, spiritually speaking, are you a camel or are you a deer? Do you stay away from the Lord for so long and it only takes a crisis to bring you back to Him? Or do you thirst for the living God day in and day out? Only you can answer that. The Apostle John, who wrote that word, who heard it with his own ears at the foot of the cross, he is the one who also recorded in John chapter 4 the encounter of the Lord Jesus Christ with the Samaritan woman. A woman who tried to satisfy her life with the water of sensuality. She tried to satisfy her life with the counterfeit water of the world, thinking that that's how she's going to be fulfilled. And Jesus said to her, Anyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again and again. The woman sought satisfaction in religious rituals, in dead religion, in in dead traditions, in going from one man to the next. And Jesus said to her, the kind of water that I give you will give you true satisfaction. If you keep drinking of that water, you will never be satisfied. Some of you are drinking from the well that is written all over it just a little bit more. Just a little bit more of this, just a little bit more of that, and just a little bit more of the other thing. That will really satisfy me. That will fulfill me. Others are drinking of the well that says, if I change my circumstances, I'll be satisfied. 
If I change my spouse, if I change my house, if I have different environment, if I have different friends, if I have different church, I'll be satisfied. It is written all over those wells, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again and again and again and will never know satisfaction. But thirsting after God, longing for the living God, is the only thirst that can be truly satisfied. Beloved, let me tell you, this this is a fuller truth to this fifth statement from the cross. And the full biblical truth of that thirst is that Jesus was thirsting for the Father. But it also, it's a statement of submission. It's a statement of surrender to the Father. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is God in human flesh, through whom all things were created. How did this work? This is how it worked. When the Father said, let there be light, Jesus clicked his fingers. And there is the sun and the moon and the stars in their orbit. When God the Father said, let us make man in our own image, the eternal Son of God brought this creation about. When God the Father said, let there be separation between the dry earth and the water, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ administered that separation. For He is the one who made all of the oceans of the world, and all of the lakes, and all of the rivers, and all of the streams, and all of the waterfalls. And yet the one who made it all can hang on that cross and say, I thirst. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul tells us that in the wilderness, Israel drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And he says that rock was Jesus. This is the same Jesus who cried on the cross, thirsty. Beloved friends, please listen carefully. I'm I'm getting close to the end here, and I don't want you to miss what I'm going to tell you. We are aware of the fact that there are myriads of ways for us to assert ourselves, to force our opinion, to parade our pride, to make sure that we get our way. But when you hear the voice of the Lord of glory saying to you and to me again and again, you can do all of that, but for my sake submit and do it not. Jesus suffered physically, He suffered spiritually, and willingly. He submitted His will to the will of the Father. Can we do no less? Here's the good news. The same John who recorded this word of Jesus, this fifth statement from the cross, thirsty, is the same John who recorded in the book of Revelation chapter 7, that when we gather around the Lamb, we shall hunger no more, nor will we thirst. His presence is the only thing that will slacken and quench our thirst. For we shall be forever in the presence of the One who is the water of life. I never want to finish a message without giving an invitation to someone whom I have never come to know the only one who can give you satisfaction, 
the only one who can redeem you, the only one who can save you eternally, the only one who can give you peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've never committed your life to Him, if you've never came to Him and taken the first step, you can do that today as we pray. Our Father, we will never fully comprehend what it means for the God of glory who created the rivers of the world to say, I thirst. But He did it in submission to the Father. For the one who has never come to you, I pray that today they will cry to you, Lord, save me, and believing with all their hearts that you already have saved them. And Father, for those of us who have known you and we come and we sing the songs and we pray and we gather Bible studies and we do all the Christian things, and yet deep down we don't have satisfaction because subconsciously we are seeking after salty waters of the world. So much so that the world even can't tell the difference. I pray today that one word, thirsty, should make us thirst only after you your righteousness, your holiness, that, Father, the world may see and believe. For we pray this in the precious name, the name at which everyone, whether they believe or not, one day will submit and bow their knees and say, yes, he's Lord, for the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.